Hey, let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the time together and gathering us here. Yeah, just thank you for the stories of generosity. And it's amazing, uh, as Jay spoke about how we serve and worship a generous God and how we're hardwired for generosity and getting to see that in everyday life. Would you speak to us? We invite you. Would you have your way? We desperately need to hear from you. Would you speak to us? And would you give us a sensitivity to respond to what you're saying? In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it's good to be with you guys tonight. I missed you last week. Um, it's really good to be back. Um, last week, like I just prayed, uh, Jay and we kicked off this new series, Generous. It's not what you think. In fact, we hope to kind of reframe for you and I what, when we think about the word generous or living generous, what it actually means and looks like. And, and Jay gave this a brilliant message last week just talking about that we fundamentally have a God who's at attitude, disposition towards you and I is one of generosity. In fact, it's so much so that you and I, made in the image of God, are actually hardwired for generosity. That we're just created in such a way that to give, and, and that actually creates some even things in our brains that is amazing. Tonight, we want to talk, and, and I really just want to ask one question. In the area of generosity, I want to ask one like really fundamental question, and I believe if we answer this question well, it will actually change your entire life. Now, I'm not trying to oversell you, I just, I believe it. Uh, and so, if we, if we answer this question really, really well, then, then it will reshape how you go about your everyday life, it will impact all that you have, all that you know, it'll impact your relationship with God, it'll impact your relationship with others, it'll impact your peace in your life. One question. Now, now the question, I, I think a lot of times we don't ask or we, because we kind of think we know the answer. The question is one in which we, we, we don't ask because maybe we don't want to know the answer. But if, but if we'll have the courage to ask this one question and discover the answer, potentially, I think for this group more than even our morning service, it could reshape the whole rest of your lives for so much good, so much peace, reshape your relationships and so here simply is the question. What is God's perspective on money? How, how, and you're like, seriously, that was the question? I built it up. How, but seriously, how does God view money? If his disposition, like Jay talked last week, is one of generosity, and we are hardwired as human beings to be generous, then the most logical question we could ask is then what is God's perspective? How does he view money? And you're like, oh, okay, hang on, hang on. I came to church. I don't really, and you talk about money. Relax, okay? Just relax. Because I think we think we know the answer to this question. 
And we kind of land in one or two ways. We kind of land in one area when we answer that, what is God's view about finances? And, about, and then it gets really personal, not just money, but your money, my money. Wait, 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 wait. God has a view about my, this, no, no, my hard-earned cash? Yeah, 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 yeah he does. See, we kind of answered that question, and we start off with this. Some of you in the room land here. You think God's view is that he is a guilt trip God, right? That, that, you're, that if you have money, it's a bad thing, it's bad to be rich, that, that you know what, you're not actually able to enjoy. If you have anything nice, then you have to make an excuse for why you have something nice, you know? And for non-church people, you're like, that's kind of weird. And you're like, yeah, it, it is kind of weird. I'm sorry. Sometimes in church world, we're kind of weird like that. And, and we think God is this ultimate guilt trip God that you should feel guilty for what you have and anything nice you need to make up an excuse why you have it. I, I remember last year, uh, around this time, my, Jenny and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We needed a redo on our honeymoon. We drew from our savings and it hurt, but we we went to Napa. I'm like, woo, all right. I even accidentally didn't mean to, but accidentally even bought a hundred dollar bottle of wine. It was accidental because I, I, I looked at the bill. I'm like, she already uncorked it. I can't send this back. Whoops. Now, when people asked us, when people asked us, instead of going, yeah, we went to Napa and it was great. You know, you know what I did? So, yeah, we went to Napa. But, but we had been saving for a long time. I had to make excuses as if that was a bad thing. And we fundamentally kind of think that, man, if you have something and you enjoy it, it's a bad thing. You can't have nice things. And that's our view about how, when we ask, ask that question, how does God view money? What's interesting, I love this passage. First Timothy six seventeen says, command those who are rich. There's this assumption that there are followers of Jesus who are rich. And God talks to him. He says, it's okay. In this present world, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. Now notice this. For our enjoyment. Huh. That God has provided you things in your life. You don't have to make excuses like, well, I have this nice car or this sort of thing. It's like, yeah, I give him that for your enjoyment. Now, it also says to be generous in good works and good deeds there. It says, hey, you enjoy. I want you to enjoy. Enjoy what you have. And so some of us live under God's perspective as this guilt trip God. Others of us kind of think, and if you're kind of from the non-church background and you've been around or maybe you've been kind of burned by church, this is probably where you're coming from. This is some of the things you've been feeling, is that God's view is that maybe he's a greedy God. It's not guilt trip, God. He's just greedy, yeah, and he's just out to get what you have worked so hard to get that somehow he needs your money. And you're like, no, 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 you, you don't get it. I worked really hard. It's mine. It's not yours. So get out. Stay out. Why, God, do you need my stuff? Because I worked hard for it. Sometimes we think because we hear kind of in, in church world, and maybe go, man, maybe God's not greedy, but see, it sure seems like the church is greedy. Notice what it says, what God says. Psalms 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's everything in it, the world all who live in it. He says, I'm not, guess what? It's all mine, guys. <laughs> Psalm 50, 9 through 10 says, I have no need of a bull from you for your stalls of, or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. 
cattle on a thousand hills. He says, guess what? One, I, I, my view isn't one fundamentally of guilt trip. I don't want you to trip in that area. And I'm not, I just in this greedy God trying to take from you what you've worked really hard for. God isn't out to, to get what you've worked for. So what is God's view when we're talking about money? And why is it so important? Why could this reshape your entire future? If you got your Bibles, would you grab, uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to spend the next two weeks in Matthew 6. We're going to unpack the next half of this uh, next week. But Matthew 6, 19 through 24 unpacks in three pictures God's view about money, God's view about your money, and why it is so important. Now, the context here is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching this amazing sermon, and it's one of his most famous ones, and in it you'll notice that he's just unpacking how to go about life. They're complete paradigm shifts for us in how we understand and see life. He says radical statements like, love your enemies. Hang hang on, God, come on, come on. You want me to love the person that just ripped me off? You want me to love the person that just lied to my face? You want me to love the person that stabbed me in the back, that just cheated on me? He said, yeah, yeah. Guess what? Also, I want you to pray for them. Like, time out. (laughs) And, And Jesus is saying, this is the paradigm for what it looks like in the kingdom of God, flipping it upside down. I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And then he goes on, he's talking about prayer. He says this, when you pray, he's talking to this Jewish audience, when you pray, I want you to call God Yahweh. You you know the one that you wouldn't even utter his name to utter his name? You was sacrilegious, you you couldn't whisper it, that you wouldn't, when you wrote his name, you wouldn't even put the vowels in, you'd just put Yahweh. I want you to call him Father. This immense, sovereign, high, and holy king of the universe. Literally, the word is Abba, Daddy, Papa. When you pray, when you're talking to God, you have that kind of relationship. And by the way, that was revolutionary, a total paradigm shift. And then we get to when Jesus talks about money, and it is the same paradigm shift. That is massive. Notice what he says. The first picture, the first picture about how God views money is one of treasure. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break into steel, but, but store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Four, big idea here, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus says, stop, literally, stop storing up treasure here on this earth. Now, he's not saying don't save. That's not what he's saying. In fact, there's other passages that that command us, says not only should you save, but you should leave an inheritance for your children's children. The Proverbs tells us what he's saying is don't put your hope and your value and the life's aim here on this planet. Don't store up things here that are fleeting. And we get this, right? 
It says where moss, can, because the clothes and the main currency in that day, you had clothes, and then you also had, uh, you know, vermin. That was their big barns. In fact, they, uh, the mice would eat up their grain. That was their wealth, right? And he says, guess what? We, we get this. We understand. We understand. Money is fleeting. It's like here today, gone tomorrow. In a minute, the economy can change, and we've watched it too many times where we, we have all this money, and then all of a sudden it goes, whoop, gone. <laughs> Right? And either you've experienced or you've seen people who've experienced it. My, uh, I was talking to one friend who, in 2008, when the, uh, when the economy crashed, right, over 50% of his retirement, gone. It's been a whole lifetime at building, and all of a sudden it's like, boom! Well, that sucks. <laughs> right? He says, Let, let's be shrewd when we're thinking about what we treasure, what we value, where we place our identity and security in. He says, don't put it in things that are temporal, things that will change, but, 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 but store for yourselves treasure in heaven. Uh, literally here it is leverage your life around what matters most. Luke uh, tells us when he's talking on this, Luke uh, 12, 33, tells us specifically when storing up treasure in heaven is actually giving monetarily, generously. That, that is literally leveraging here and now for what's eternal. And, and just think about this. Think about this. If, and, and you may not buy and say this, that's okay. But if... Eternity is real. And we all spend forever somewhere. Now, some of you just need to wrestle with that for the rest of the night, okay? Okay? That's okay. But if eternity is real and each one of us spends forever somewhere, wouldn't it be the wisest thing to do to begin to leverage the temporal now for eternal later? Things that can be lost here and now for things that can never be lost. That we leverage our lives not around stuff, but what matters most. Now, now when we're talking about what God's view of money he, he has this big idea, verse 21, that's massive. Don't miss this. For where your treasure is, where you put your security, your identity, what you value most, there your heart will be also. Here's what he's saying. Where your money goes, your heart follows. There is this invisible strength from your heart to your finances that is connected. And if you kind of think about it, you know intuitively this is true, that where your money flows and where it goes, your heart follows. It just naturally goes after that. So wherever you put your money, your heart is going to go there. And you can just look at your checkbook. If you still have it, I have one. You may not. Uh, or you can look at your financial bank statement and just look at where you spend it. And you can see where your heart's going after, whether it's that relationship, whether it's kind of like we have this idea of financial independence, but we don't know when or where that's at. And because everything changes, we keep striving, 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 but we're striving for that. And our heart is striving for for that. He says, where your money goes, your heart follows. See, you know why God talks about money and his perspective on money? Isn't because he needs or wants your money. You know why he talks about it? He wants your heart. He wants you. 
And believe it or not, your checkbook, your financial statement is actually a spiritual document that reveals where your heart is at. First picture God gives us is one of a treasure. And he says, wherever your money and finances go, there your heart follows. The second picture is one that's kind of funky. I got to tell you, man, you just read it and you're just like, okay, God, I kind of got the first one, but this one, ah, it's kind of bizarre. And, and it's one is of a treasure. The second picture is of your eyes. And, and Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, we, we get this. The eye, like a lamp, you know, a lamp in the darkness, it shines and tells you the direction to go. My eyes are like that in that I see and I know the direction to go. It impacts my whole body because I see and then I go that direction. Okay, so far, got that. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If you can't see, you're, you're just kind of wandering. Okay. And then this next line, oh, it can kind of confuse me for a little bit, if I'm honest. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And, and that's where kind of we get in kind of Christian world to kind of sit back and go, ah, that's deep. <laughs> you know, real, real Christians go, yeah, not real Christians, sorry. Yeah, but they go, mmm. Mm, that's good. That's deep. You know what that means? I don't know what that means. Mm, that's good, though. That's deep. <laughs> we laugh, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, isn't that sad? But here's the deal. Here's what he's saying, and this is a profound point. You don't want to miss it. It's such a big deal. Just as your eyes direct your whole body, money impacts all of your life. Big, big idea. See, your money isn't just about money, is it? Think about this. Because your money impacts relationships, doesn't it? And we see relationships all the time crack and crumble because of money. Your money impacts things that you want to do and desires and longs and dreams that you have in your future. Your money, and this money, begins to impact your peace and whether you feel anxious, joyful, or not. See, because money is never just about money. It begins to, just as your eyes direct the whole body, he says, then your money also impacts all of your life. It's like little tentacles that go in and it impacts every area of your life. So if you get this one area of your life wrong, it impacts every area of your life. And if you get this one area of your right, life right, it also in like manner impacts every area of your life. You're seeing why God has a perspective for money and why it's so Notice what it says. If you got in your pen, go ahead. It says, if your eyes are healthy, would you circle that word healthy? Uh, literally, this is the only time in the New Testament we see this word used. And when that happens, uh, we, we know that the author is trying to make a really specific point. Uh, translators have had some difficulty translating because we don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament, but it's used in classical Greek. And every time in classical Greek where it's translated, it's not healthy or good, but it's actually generous. It says, if you have a generous eye, it will impact all of life. If your disposition is one of steward and I'm leveraging what my life is for what matters most, it impacts all of life. 
And then if you go down to verse 23, it says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, and just underline or circle that word, and right above it, write evil or envious. Uh, later on in Matthew, this word is literally uh, translated envious. Uh, and in, the, in Judaism, there's this idiomatic phrase uh, where they had what was called the evil eye. And if someone had the evil eye, and Jesus is making this, uh, this kind of tongue-in-cheek statement about a generous eye and an evil eye. And, and this generous eye, talking about if you have the generous eye, your, your body's full of light. But if you have the evil eye, and there's this idiomatic phrase that literally just meant selfish, miserly, me-centered, where you just kind of always want what the other has. You're never satisfied. You're always kind of longing for more. You're constantly anxious about everything in the bank or around you, always comparing. And it says this. Here's what's interesting. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you start envious, you don't really notice that you're envious, do you? I, I, I don't know anyone that I've talked to, maybe you have, that self-identifies as I'm greedy. I'm self-centered. I'm envious. It's so subtle, isn't it? And we have all these excuses of like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not envious. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, like uh, driven. I, I'm not greedy. I'm just shrewd. And we give all kinds of excuses, and it's so subtle that we rarely see it. And the only way to have a clear picture in life about what matters most, and to lie in life well, Jesus says, is to have a generous eye. First picture, picture of a treasure. He says, where your money goes, your heart follows. Second picture, picture of an eye. And Jesus says, guess what? Money is not just about money. It impacts all of life. Get this right, and it will impact all of your life. Get it wrong, and it will impact all of your life. This is why it's such a big deal to God, because he longs for your best. Third picture, treasure, eye, and then the picture of master. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The picture here is one of a master, of a slave to a master, and this whole idea. And Jesus says, when we're talking about money, here's what you need to know. We're going to cut the crap here and not talk and just go like, yeah, 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 I like this, I like this. No, let me tell you how it really is. And Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. When we're talking about money, we're talking about a lordship issue. Who is in control? He says, it is impossible to serve God and to say you're in control and at the same time to serve money. It's not hard. It's impossible says, one will have control of your life. Which will it, whom will you serve? Notice what Jesus says here. He says, you cannot serve both God and then money. Earlier that word there is, uh, it's an Aramaic word. It means mammon. Uh, and that's like awesome. And most translations, uh, 
early days, they would literally write mammon, and everyone's going, what is mammon? It, it literally just means stuff. I mean, it just means stuff. It means material things, your stuff. It says you can't serve God and, and serve your stuff, be owned by your stuff, be consumed by stuff. Uh, the etymology of this word is kind of fascinating to me. Uh, this word mammon originally began as this word to mean uh, one whose uh, possessions were entrusted to you. Is it like a neighbor who would say, hey, I have this dog. Will you take care of my dog? Uh, and you're entrusted with his possessions. You would take care knowing that you're going to give it back. It was entrustment that you had. Over the course of time, it then moved to mean this, what you put your trust in. In. It shifted from one of being an entrustment, a steward, to meaning in Jesus' day, what you put your trust in. I find it interesting. I don't know why or how, and honestly, I, I mean, because some of you might email me, I don't care um, why or how this got on the dollar bill. I'm not trying to make any statements about our country or our nation or anything like that. I'm just making an observation, okay? But on the back of a, a dollar bill, it says what? Oh, we'll just try that for kicks to a little bit better because you're pretty darn good, but we can, we can do better. What does it say? That was good. That was good. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, isn't that interesting? I, I don't know how it got there. I don't know the reason. And, but on our money, on our currency... It is this declaration of saying, God, I trust you. This is an entrustment. But in reality, it's in money we trust, in money we put our hopes and dreams, in money we find our value in our stuff. Hmm. See, if we don't get this right, we miss out with God. See, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. God understands his perspective that if you don't get this right, it's going to impact not just that one area, but every single area of your life. And your relationship with him will always be hindered until you say, you know what, God, you have control. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I put my trust in you. Let me ask you a few maybe diagnostic questions. I got this from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's an author, writer. Just kind of sit back, and I know we're talking about money, and for some of us, our, our kind of heart rate moves up, and we get anxious, and like, okay, when is it going to be over? Just going to take a deep breath, go, kind of sit back. Let me ask you these questions here. Which of these statements creates more anxiety in you? There is no God, or there is no money in the bank. <laughs> Number two, does the fear of not having enough impede your ability to give? Number three, do you have money in the bank but no peace in your heart? And finally, how hard is it for you to do the right thing 
when it's going to cost you financially. And if we don't get this right, you and I will spend our lives serving stuff and aligning our lives around what doesn't really matter, things that fade and go away instead of what matters most in life. What I'm so thankful for is when, as a kid, my parents understood God's view on money. And as a result, they taught me some things from a young age to help me begin to align my life in such a way with God's view about money so that I could experience His best. And and I just want to share it with you. And here's the deal. You just need to know, I'm not real good with finances, okay? When we talk about finances at our house, I get like super stressed out. It makes me really anxious. We often like get in fights because it's not because of my wife, it's because of me, because, well, I'll just get the check back out and I'll start to sweat, you know? And we're like, we haven't done anything. I'm like, I know, it's just stressful. Okay, so let me, let me just say this. I'm no expert, but I believe these, this fundamental lesson that my parents taught me not only has served me well, it has probably saved my marriage and all kinds of other things in my life. And I just want you to get it. And I, I, know, I know that we probably have seen this maybe even before, but I want you to get it. I, and, and not just get it, but begin to apply it of how do we go about and function and, and use and steward our money? How do we begin to give financially in such a way that we store up treasure in heaven? So, so let me just do this. When I was a kid, um, my parents got me, I was probably Ella's age, my oldest daughter, she's nine. I was probably nine or ten, and I got three jars. And my dad was kind of an entrepreneur as a kid. He wanted us to be entrepreneurs. So we got a little bit of a um, allowance, but really not much. And so we had to go out and hit the streets and mow lawns and do all that kind of stuff. And I mean, we were after it. I'd have, you know, maybe ten lawns on a Saturday I'd go do, and at ten bucks a piece, I'm like, dang, dude, let's go. Come on. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're kind of after it. And, uh, and so I had these these jars here. And and they had three different words written on them. And and my parents just from a young age taught me to do this. And by the way, I just, I'm a grown man. I have three kids and I'm going to teach my kids this. I just do the same thing. It has served me so well. And I hope it will serve you so well. This is such a a profound, simple, but significant act. Uh, And and it had three words written on the top of it. And I I think you can see up there, it said, and one word on one jar was give. One word on another jar was save, and one word on another jar was spend. And in fact, you can see this is my literal jar. It had dinosaurs on it, you know, all around it. And on the top, this is my saving jar, and it says bike. I was saving up, yeah, uh, for a bike. I, and I did get that bike, by the way. Um, it was awesome. Um, but, but let's just start there. And if you got your notes, the first thing here is the idea of give. When we're talking about giving, where you would say, I'm going to give the first and best of what I have to God. Because you know what it says? God, I trust you. God, I long to build your kingdom and invest in your kingdom, not my kingdom. 
where you'd begin to go, okay, you know what? I don't have a whole lot, but I'm going to start. And you give from the very beginning. You go, God, I'm going to just start and say, I'm going to honor you. The only way for us to develop a generous heart, the only way for us to experience God's heart in this area is actually where we begin to give away. And here's what I'd just say under that. I'll use a different color because I can. First, give a percentage. Give a percentage. For us in the Old Testament, it talks about a tithe. The Old Testament talks about a tithe. That's like a literal 10%. The New Testament talks about proportional giving, uh, giving in proportion to what God has given to you. Most often it's in, understood this way, that the tithe is kind of like the baseline. And in the New Testament, there's like people who just gave over and above that percentage. For some, you just, need to be, you're, you just need to be challenged that you would start with 10%. For others, you're going, I can't do 10%. I have all kinds of debt. I'm a student. I got all this kind of Start with a percentage, 2%. And if you question, here, here, if you question my motives at all, do not give here. This is not about you giving to Awakening Church. This is about you experiencing God's best in your life, and you cannot until you learn to give, okay? Do not give here if in any way you think that's about us. About us. You can check our bulletin. By God's grace, we don't need your money, okay? He's taking care of us. But you would choose and start from the very beginning to give a percentage up front, that you would do this, and the second word, uh, it's another P word, is, I, and I don't have a symbol for it, but prioritize. That you would prioritize giving. It can't be on the back end, guys. It can't be, I'm going to live, 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 and then God, I'll tip you, and okay, what do I got this week? All right, good. Thanks, God. Hope you like it. It's good. Where you just say, from the very beginning, you'll learn to live on less. Imagine when you would declare to the God of the universe, you matter more than my stuff. And I'm going to do that by writing a check. And I literally write my checks out because I like just seeing it. It's something about tangible to me and drop it in the offering bin. But where you'd say percentage-wise, I'm going to choose a percentage, and, I, and, and it can be, you can start with 10%, you can start with 2%. You, some of you guys, you, you may start with more, and you're going to prioritize it. You just need to know, as a church, we said from day one, we're going to do that. We'll never ask you to do what we're not doing. And we said from day one, we're going to start giving 10% away of what comes in every time outside the doors of our church. Last year alone, we gave about 26% away outside the doors of our church. We gave just under $50,000 away outside of our church. Yeah, this is, well, someone whooped, thank God. <laughs> That's amazing. And God's taken care of us and supplied for us. And when we started out as a church, you know, financial people were telling us, no, no, don't do that. Your church plan. And by the way, you have a bunch of young adults. Don't, don't do that. I don't know. See, when you give, it says, God, you have first place, and it allows God to then provide and show up in ways you can never dream. The second thing in, in there is then... Get my marker there. Save. And, and for my family, and what I taught, in my, my family, they had 10% here, right? And then they taught me 10% here. 
where you would actually, after tithing, then pay yourself first. You pay your bills and you pay all these things. You would begin to decide, hey, I'm going to pay myself first. And if I had understand in my 20s about compounding interest, I'd be doing really great right now. But I didn't, and now I'm just getting to the game, okay? But where you'd say, okay, 10%, and this is what we do as a family, my family does, uh, and, and we haven't done it perfectly over the years, and we just, I'll share a little bit later how we're kind of getting back into that groove, but where you'd say, okay, I'm going to pay myself first. After I give to God, I know I got these bills and all these other things, you'll learn to live on less. But it, it is wise to save. And then finally, then is Spend. And you just live on the rest. You live within your means. That's a crazy thought, I know, with our country, and we don't do that as a government. But maybe we should start doing that as individuals, and the government might catch up. That we just go, we're going to live on what we have and stop putting everything on credit cards. Stop leveraging debt. If I can't afford the car, I'm not going to buy the car or lease the car. I'm not going to have, you know, every appliance in my house that is leased out. I'm just going to live on what I have left. Amen by myself. This foundational lesson has served me so well. By God's grace, went into our marriage with zero debt. Today, have zero debt. Some, do you know how much pressure that takes off of a relationship when you're not trying to have that monkey on your back the whole time? Man. Now, life has been, and I'll just share real honestly, for us, the last three months have been some of the more tight financially that we've had in a long time. And we, I haven't honestly been real good, if I just confess to you, real good about the save part for a season because we, we didn't have like a whole lot of money and so we had a good chunk in savings. It's like, okay, we're going to invest that in our family. But then it got to a point where, oh, we need to get that savings back up because if something happens like my daughter's teeth and... Uh, October, oh man, why don't they just pull all of them out and then save me a whole lot of money, you know? <laughs> you can gum things, you can gum things. And they're talking about orthodontic, I'm like, oh geez, that's expensive. And, but it's looking at where we're at, and honestly, here's, here's the deal. September, October, and, and even this month, November, We've been in a spot where I'm going, okay, God, I'm not sure how you're going to provide. I've prioritized. For us, we give 10%. We write it right away to the church. We give a little bit uh, to uh, kids that we're supporting and a couple missionary friends and some stuff over and above, like Advent conspiracy is over and above. It's not part of that 10% for us. And we choose and talk it, about it with our kids about, hey, how are we going to do this? And then we've really been saving this fall, and in that, going, man, there's not enough money. God, would you, would you provide for us? We don't know how. Every single month, God's provided for us. 
in random ways from people who don't know what's going on, and we're just going like, and here's the deal. It took until this month for me to actually see it. I was anxious and stressing out and going, I don't know how we're going to do it. And Jenny and I would kind of get in arguments, and we're just like, oh, you know, because that's what money does to us. Or me. <laughs> and then watch God provide each and every month. Like, we didn't have, have enough to go out on a date, and someone gave us an incredible date with, like, massages, which weirds me out because I don't like those, but um, <laughs> my wife does, and all kinds of stuff. And, just, and I just looked back, and I said, huh, God, you have taken care of us. I entrusted to you, and you're trustworthy. You'll never experience the God who provides until you trust him to the place where you need him to provide. See, generosity. Generosity is not for God's sake. It is for your sake and my sake. God's view about money is he understands fundamentally that our heart is connected to where our money goes, that it impacts all of our life. And so as a result, you and I have this choice Will we serve God or man? And I, and I know I know some of you are kind of feeling like, I don't know. And, and if it's about here, don't give here, okay? Please, please hear me again. But give somewhere. But for some, it's like there's this fear welling up inside. Well, I don't know how God's going to show up. I don't have enough. And you're just thinking, even if I do 1%, that's crazy, crazy, crazy. And some of you, honestly, you're just greedy. You go, I, I want mine. And both of those is an issue of control, isn't it? Who is in control? Would the band come up and we're going to close? And as we do, let me just pray for you. God, I know that this subject hits so many of us on so many fronts. It's a really uh, often touchy subject because money impacts every area of life. And so God, I just simply ask that for each person here, you would give them the grace to respond to what you've been showing them. Give them the grace to just simply apply just such a simple way, but it's so hard often for us of ordering life with you. That we would be known as a community who orders our lives with you and experiences the God who provides. That we would be a community that has stories of the generous God. And as a result, we would be a generous people. In Jesus' name, amen.